0: It's usually a section of scripture, but I knew from beginning to start working through 1 John that this last verse needed to be taken on its own. Because John, this 1 John five twenty one, he didn't end with the end of verse 20. This, Jesus Christ, is the true God and eternal life. He could have done it, but he added one more thing. I've resisted the commonly held picture or image of an aged John, though he was old, prepared, packed, kind of uh, pottering on about love in this letter. People think, oh, that about love. And they've missed the point. Because the cause of this concern, uh, of his concern, why John wrote this letter, is that he's fiercely concerned for the honour of Jesus. And it, John is resisting false teachers and false teaching and false Christianity, false faith, which dishonour Jesus. That's the cause of the letter. That's why he talks about love in the context of three text, tests to prove what is true. The tests are, truth is what is being taught and said, honoring Jesus as both fully God and fully man. Does it honor his death, his blood, as the propitiation and atonement for our sins? Righteousness, does what is being taught, does what's being done here, produce obedience to God and to Christ Does it keep his commandments or is it lawless, reckless, unruly? Does it produce love? This is where the love comes in. Does this teaching, does this this, this, this so-called church produce love for God and love for one another? That's what the letter is about. Whatever and whoever does not honour Jesus Christ as truly God and truly man, as sacrifice and as Saviour, whatever and whoever does not produce obedience to God and to his commandments and does not produce love for God and for all his children, that thing or that belief is false, no matter what is claimed. Though John is up in his 80s by this time, as he writes this letter, he's very punchy, very direct, very, very challenging. And the last phrase he puts in to his letter is this Little children, guard yourselves from idols. Let's pray. We are concerned too, Father, that your Son, the Lord Jesus, would be honored here among us today. It is not about us, it's not about a preacher. This is about the Lord Jesus. And as as we were hearing earlier, you deserve our hearts. You are worthy of our attention, our affection, our thoughts, our lives. Holy Spirit, work in our hearts now as we think through Scripture together. We pray that Jesus might be honoured. Amen. Now John is punchy but he's also quite gracious and that's a very gracious way of putting it, little children, keep yourselves from idols because the whole story of idols in the Bible is a very unpleasant one. If you go back to the Old Testament you'll find a dark history of the children of Israel repeatedly forsaking Yahweh, we sang that name earlier, that became through Latin into English and French and things Jehovah but pronounced in the Hebrew way it's kind of Yahweh really. Having been delivered from slavery in Egypt, in the process of which God judged each of Egypt's gods in turn in those ten plagues, those ten plagues were God defeating the the gods of Egypt. God gave his law in the wilderness to Israel. And in the read through the law, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Numbers, God repeatedly commanded them not to make or to worship idols. And in fact, when they went into their promised land to obliterate all of the pagan religion and everybody who worshipped idols and foreign gods. But even whilst Moses was up on a mountain receiving the law from God down in the valley, the children of Israel had made a golden calf and were partying. They were engaging in sexual immorality. Even while Moses was getting the law. And even while they were led through the wilderness for 38, nearly 40 years, and God fed them with manna and with quail and provided water for them, and you could see his presence in a pillar of cloud by day and fire by night. While all of that was happening, some of the children of Israel had idols hidden in their tents. One of the prophets tells us that. And when they entered the promised land, They didn't do as they were commanded and removed all the idolatry, but they accommodated and adopted to the pagan religions of the people. Through the rule of the judges, you see the idols and paganism continuing. And through the kingdoms of Saul and David and Solomon, there were still idols. Solomon then took many wives from other nations. He was forging political alliances. If I marry his daughter, then we're on good terms. You know, that sort of thing. But... They and he filled, it says, Jerusalem with altars and images to those foreign gods. And after Solomon's death, Israel was divided. The 12 tribes became 10 and 2, north and south. There were roughly 10 tribes in the north which continued to be called Israel, and two tribes in the south called Judah. And in the north, Israel went from bad to worse, continued in decline and rebellion against the Lord. They had one idolatrous and wicked king following another. In the south, Judah had some evil kings and some better ones. But in the end, the ten tribes of the northern kingdom were taken away into exile by the Assyrians and were lost from history because of their persistent paganism and idolatry. The southern kingdom of Judah later were taken away also into captivity, By the Babylonians. And Jerusalem and the temple were destroyed. The Babylonians were overtaken by the Medes and Persians. And later on from the Persian capital. A small remnant of Judeans. Which is why they're called Jews. Returned to Jerusalem. Under Nehemiah and then Ezra and Zerubbabel and so on. To rebuild Jerusalem. Jerusalem and the temple, and kind of re-found a nation. But it was a small remnant, a few tens of thousands. You can read all those things in the books of the Old Testament. The history books give you the accounts, but the prophetic books give you God speaking to Israel about these things. Again and again, warning them to turn from their false gods. Otherwise, judgment would come. You can look it up if you've got a concordance, a Bible dictionary. Look up how many times the word idol or idols occurs in the Bible. This is a big issue. Now that was the history of God's chosen people. He called them to be a kingdom of priests to himself, a peculiar people, a special nation, a light to the other nations. But 10 out of 12 tribes, sort of, a few remnants were in the south, but never mind. Almost all of ten tribes were obliterated from history because of their idolatry. And the southern kingdom was replaced only by a small returning remnant. They served other gods, foreign gods, the gods of the nations. A male sun god, a female moon god, a fish-headed god. Gods who ruled nature and agriculture and fertility. And I'm not going to tell you all their names. But I will describe some of the ways that they were worshipped. The worship of some of these gods was truly horrible. It involved self harm, including piercings and tattoos. It involved human sacrifice, the sacrifice of babies, of infants, ritual sex with both male and female cult prostitutes, same sex activities, and other sexual perversions were all wrapped up into these religions. When you read in the Lord that the children of Israel were to destroy the nations from Canaan so they wouldn't be enticed by their idols and their gods and their perverted perverted practices, it sounds harsh. Kill them all. Drive them away. But when you see what those false religions were like, you begin to understand the severity of the commandment. You see, over time, Israel became worshippers of pagan idol gods and took up all the foul behaviour of those religions. When I was in Tunisia some years ago, I had an afternoon free before going to the airport for my flight home. I was traveling with some other people. And I went up to the ruins of Carthage, um, which is where Hannibal's people were defeated by the Romans at Carthage. There's a museum up there, and I, I began to walk around. And I came to an exhibit which had earth in the Big tray, and there were clay jars sticking out of the earth, and small bones spilling from the clay jars. And I began to realize what I was looking at, and I quickly looked around the, the, for the sign for the exhibit, and it was in Arabic and in French. Well, I can't do Arabic, but I, I got one word from the French. It was tophet, and I knew that word from the scriptures. What I was looking at is an infant that had been sacrificed to the gods of Carthage. Now that was horrifying. But here's the thing. That is what the children of Israel also did. In worshipping of the nations, particularly Molech. Thank you. Molech was, we understand, a big metal image. It was heated by fire until it glowed. And then live babies were placed in its arms or lap. Drums were beaten hard to cover the cries of the infants, which is where the name Tophet comes from. It means the drums, the sound of the drums. So I'm standing in Carthage looking at this, and I begin not just to... Little cry, I begin to wail to sob. I was devastated. I stumbled out the musician out of the museum and made my way back down the town. But ever since then, when I read the severe commandments of God concerning idolatry and paganism and so on, I, I kind of begin to understand it. Here's a summary from one of the Psalms. Psalm 106, starting at verse 34. They did not destroy the peoples as the Lord commanded them, but they mingled with the nations and learned their practices and served their idols, which became a snare to them. They even sacrificed their sons and their daughters to the demons. In Isaiah, God says, they were my children. And they shed innocent blood, the blood of their sons and their daughters, whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan. And the land was polluted with the blood. Thus they became unclean in their practices and played the harlot in their deeds. Literally because ritual sex was part of these so-called worship procedures. Therefore the anger of the Lord was kindled against his people. And he abhorred his inheritance. And he gave them into the hands of the nations. And those who hated them ruled over them. Their enemies also oppressed them and they were subdued under their power. Many times he would deliver them. They, however, were rebellious in their counsel. And so sank down in their iniquity. By the time that Jesus came into the world, the world was full of idols and statues. Greece and Rome with a pantheon of gods had many gods and there were images of gods in every town. And then the Roman emperors decided, this is a good trick, we'll be gods too. And they had their images put in every town. So wherever Roman town you went into, there was the emperor. (coughs) By the way, Caesar is Lord. Do you know what that means? Whoever is the emperor is God. When the Christians were saying Jesus is Lord, they were denying that Caesar was God and saying Jesus is God, not him. It got you into a lot of trouble saying Jesus is Lord back in those days. Let me ask you something. What is an idol? Now you might assume that an idol stands for a particular demon, that powers of evil are behind all this, but that's only partly true the real truth about idolatry is far worse than that. me say first of all, the scripture clearly says that an idol in itself is nothing. Read 1 Corinthians eight, read the Old Testament prophets as they talk about these things. Idols don't do anything. The Old Testament prophets mock them. What's them what, what have you got there? Can't speak. It can't walk. Can't hear you. One prophet says, you, make a, you take a big t- piece of tree and you make an idol out of it and the rest of what's left over you cook your dinner on. Yes. <laughs> I'm trying not to quote all the scriptures in detail this morning for the sake of time. The Lord mocks them for their stupidity. You're worshipping a piece of wood. An idol in itself is nothing. But an idol is a false god of our Making. We make idols. Demons only take up what we have set up. Here's some quotes from old John Calvin The human heart is a factory of idols. Every one of us, even from his mother's womb, is a master craftsman. Of idols. Here's another one: Man's mind is like a store of idolatry and superstition, so much that if a man believes his own own mind, it is certain he will forsake God and forge some idol in his own brain. People think that's severe. I think that's true. I think that's real. That is biblically accurate and also a true reflection of the human heart. We make idols. We make God to be what He's not. What do I mean by that? You hear this from some people. You hear them say, "I'm not comfortable with the God of the Bible and all of that bloodshed and stuff." And they prefer to imagine a God who's like this. He's a bit like Santa Claus, you know, <laughs> genial old guy being nice to people. You know, I, I I like a God of love, you know, and and I'm not so I'm not so I don't like the judgment stuff. They want to eradicate God's holiness and His justice, and just keep love. But God put His Son on the cross so that His justice would be meted out on Him, so that He could show love to us. That's what the cross is about, folks. Oh, I don't like a God like that. That's that's that that that's cosmic child abuse to put Jesus on the cross. Do you know what you do when you do that? You make an idol. You make an idol of your God. You make God in an image that you prefer rather than the God that he is. Every, beware of manufacturing a God of your own, a God who is all mercy, not just. Such a God is an idol of your own. J.C. Ryle, who was the first Archbishop, sorry, the first Bishop of Liverpool in, in the 1800s. 1800s. One writer, R.C. Sproul, a God before whom we need to have no fear <coughs> is not God, but an idol made by your own hand. You want a God who is all nice? Then he's your God. He's, in, he's, in, he's, he's entirely your God. You made him up. We make substitutes for God. We choose another God instead. Here's one. i said this some years ago. Men worship as God what they have created rather than the God who created them. That's the heart of idolatry. You worship something that you've created rather than the one who created you. You don't submit your heart to your maker, to your master. There are three main idols. I've put modern idols, but really these are these years ago. Money, sex, and power. Money, materialism, consumerism is a false god. Listen to me. Jesus called it mammon. He called wealth mammon. He gave it the name of a pagan god. He also said that money is deceitful and will fail us. That's the teaching of Jesus. Money in itself is not good. It is tricky, deceitful, unreliable. It's run through with our sinfulness and our warped values just as you put the name of a town through a stick of rock. Money is ours. We made it and it's full of our wretchedness. Therefore, as Christians, we need to handle money with godly wisdom and discipline so we're not tainted by it, but we do some good with it. Handle with care. It's like jellignite, folks. Now here's the thing. In the worship of their false gods, the Israelites burned their babies. We do the same. In 2014, 190,000 children were aborted in England and Wales. And mostly were for economic reasons and not for any urgent medical reason at all. We sacrifice babies to love. Second one is sex. Sex is a false god. I'm not saying sex is not good. Sex between a loving husband and wife is good. It is blessed by God. But sex away from the marriage relationship is just running wild. It's a false god. There's nothing new in that. The pagan religions of Canaan that the Israelites were instructed to wipe out were full of sex, filthy sexual behavior, including ritual use of male and female cult prostitutes in heterosexual and homosexual activities. Our media is full of eroticism. Our internet is awash with porn. And even the filters don't stop it all. Any remnant of sexual morality has been thrown away in our society. And we've become so accustomed to the gross secularization of our society, we're we're barely shockable anymore. Power is the third one. You can call it fame, you can call it success. Okay, you heard of Donald Trump, yes? No? (laughs) Good. You think, why is he so popular? Well, here's the thing. Because he is successful. Because he is rich. Because he is already famous. People will run after him because he's already got what they want. He's already seen to be powerful. Exactly. You said it. People worship power. Whether that's money... Fame? I mean, come on, listen. How many idol programs have we had? Pop Idol? American Idol? Why? Is it called idol? Because we're going to put someone up on a pedestal and go, ha ha ha, yes. And then we're going to kick them off next week and find someone else instead. But so long as somebody has the power, we'll worship the power. Until somebody comes along who replaces the person. So you beat the man to become the man. In recent times, science has become part of this powerful God. Men think that science can solve every mystery, meet every need. They call it nature, they call it evolution, they even call it technology. But it's really man's own cleverness that he is worshipping. We're in awe of the work of our own hands and our minds. These are our God's substitute idols today, but in fact they haven't changed since Bible times. Let me repeat that the Bible clearly states in a number of places, idols are what we make. But when we give them time, when we give our attention to them, they gain a power over us. And of course that process has demonic evil influence as well. But idols start as the work of our own hearts and then of our own hands. The human heart, John Calvin said, and he's right, is a factory of idols. We keep making them. And we get addicted to them because this is the way that addiction works. You get addicted to tobacco by starting and then continuing to smoke. There isn't a demon of tobacco. You you gave yourself over to something which then gained the power of you. She started alcoholism by starting and continuing to drink to excess. There isn't a demon of alcohol. You made some choices and they've led you down a bad way. So you're in in the end overpowered by something that you began to give yourself to. And so on. Choices we make lead to controlling habits and addictions which are then hard to break. That's how it is with our hearts and idols. We set them up. We give them attention and in time they control us. When we lived in Old Harlow, rather than the centre of town as we live now, our next door neighbor for a while, a couple, he was French, he was English, and then a couple. He, had, he used his garage for a car. You know, a lot of us use, have garages, we don't use them for cars? Stores. We use them, for, yeah, absolutely. We don't use them for cars. He, he had a car in his garage, it wasn't the car he took to work. It was a yellow Lotus, all right, sports car. Every Sunday morning, he took it out, and he took it for a drive. <laughs> yes, he took it for a drive. <coughs> then he brought it back, and he washed it, and he hoovered it, and he put it back away again. And I thought, I remember standing upstairs and saying, "That's your Sunday worship." Yeah. yeah. I think it can be the same. With it can be all sorts. Here's what the Bible says about idols. Destroy them Smash, burn, tear, throw down. So John's being very, very nice when he says guard yourself. Somebody. This letter of John's very similar in some ways to Deuteronomy. But the language there is not God, it's tear down, destroy, smash, burn. Why? I'll tell you why. Because our God is jealous. Zealous. Now I need to explain to you. Let's read to you from Exodus 4 34, first of all. God says, Be sure to observe what I'm commanding you this day. Behold, I'm giving going to drive out the Amorite before you, the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, the Jebusite. Watch yourselves that you make no covenant with the inhabitants of the land into which you're coming or it will become a snare in your midst, but rather you are to tear down their altars and smash their sacred pillars and cut down their asherim, which were groves of of, of tree trunks, which were, you know, representatives of of Ashtaroth, who is a female goddess. You shall not worship any other god, for the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. Otherwise you might make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land and they will, you'll play the harlot with their gods and sacrifice to their gods and someone might invite you to eat of his sacrifice and you might take some of his daughters for your sons and his daughters will play the harlot with their gods and cause your sons to play harlot with their gods. You shall not make you to yourself molten gods. <clears throat> Jealous and zealous are two different words in English now but they weren't originally. They're words that came from the same source in Greek and Latin, but came to mean different things. If you go far enough back in English usage, they're practically interchangeable. It was a, just a different way of spelling it. But nowadays, we use zealous positively and jealous negatively. <clears throat> it's all right to be zealous, but don't be jealous. No, they're part, they're the same thing. Because <clears throat> here's the thing if you zealously love somebody, you're jealous about anything that affects that love. You can't fiercely love something without hating something that would affect that love. Right? So zealous and jealous are the two sides of the same heart relationship. God says his name is jealous. You can make that zealous and jealous. He's zealous, jealous. What is he zealous, jealous for? Well, there's a strange scripture in James that says he's zealous, jealous for the spirit that is placed within us. He's zealous for us. To have us know him and enjoy him and love him. He is zealous for that. He is zealous and jealous for all that is good and holy and honest, his son Jesus. And he's zealous, jealous against all that is evil and dishonest, his son. God is zealous and jealous for us to know him and enjoy him, and he's zealous, jealous against everything that keeps us from his joy. Why are idols such bad news? Because they replace God, and God is zealous, jealous for us to know him as our God. Here's some stuff from Tim Keller. We did a whole series on this, today. Idolatry is not just a failure to obey God, it's a setting of the whole heart on something besides God. This is the way idolatry works. If I have that, my new, my life will have meaning. I'll have value and feel significant and secure. That is the object of your worship. Tim Keller again, anything you add to Jesus Christ as a requirement for being happy is an idol that will sap you. It must be removed. One from a lady writer speaking about materialism and consumerism and wealth. God delights in freeing us from idolatrous consumerism so that we can show the world that he is enough. How many of you know we sing, "Sonnet Christ is enough for me? You see? Is there a that that I need, I'm trying to add secretly to that statement? This is one from Terry Virgo. This was a tweet he put out last year. God is jealous for your love without a trace of suspicion or misunderstanding. Just plain, pure Burning, divine, jealousy. God is jealous for your heart. Now here's the thing. We live in an idolatrous world, in case you haven't noticed. The human heart is a factory of idols, and our world is full of idols, and not just the ones that Simon Cowell makes. But. Our country's given up on being a Christian nation. Have you noticed that? Don't be surprised by anything, any anti Christian thing that comes out the news. They've been heading that way a long time, folks. We are now, as Christians, a godly remnant in a godless nation. We live like Job in Sodom, or the Hebrews in Babylon, or Mordecai in Persia. Daniel and his friends had to live for God in the middle of an idolatrous society, the Babylonian Empire. Mordecai, the same in the later Persian Empire. And in these cases, when laws were passed which contradicted the love of God and serving God, godliness I would call it, those men refused, resisted, disobeyed those laws. And I think that time will come when some of us will be doing that right here in the U.K., Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were the names that the Babylonians gave them, but their Hebrew names were Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. They would not bow to Nebuchadnezzar's image. And for that they were thrown into a fiery furnace, you're to Daniel 3. But the Lord was with them in the furnace, they came through unharmed. Back in the mid-1980s, there was a song by Russ Taff which was on an LP we had in those days. Uh, not gonna bow, which is based on that. Here's the chorus from it. Bow to your We We won't We 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 won't bow down no. More. no more. All right. <laughs> Christian rock, yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's good, isn't it? You're a, you're a Christian concept. We ain't going to bow to your idols. But then you've got to go out in the world and do it. You've got to make the choices. Money, sex, power. I'm not going to bow to your idols. Daniel was trapped by ungodly men because they, they got the... The the emperor to pass the law that no one should pray except to him for so many days. And Daniel would not cease to pray to the Lord, and deliberately broke the law, which made it an offence. For that, he was thrown very reluctantly by the king into a lion's den overnight. But the Lord sent an angel who shut the mouths of the lions, and Daniel was brought out unharmed the next day. This is Mordecai, and that is from an album from 1978 called No Compromise by Keith Green. Very powerful music, Christian album. Mordecai, when Haman was being honoured by the king, refused to bow down before Haman. And so broke the king's command. And yet the Lord saw to it that the execution that Haman had planned for Mordecai was his own death. Now the Lord may, as he did with those men, deliver us from the consequences of godly disobedience. But he might not. We may have to suffer the punishment of the law for doing something, for refusing to do something we will not do for God's sake. May God raise a generation of Christians who will smash the idols which claim our devotion and boldly answer the pressures and false gods of our society. No, we won't bow. Let's go back to our text today. Little children. Guard yourself from idols. Now I'm going to push this a little further. Here, you see, this doesn't start start out there. This starts in here. This is internal, not external. This is a command to our hearts. We're coming to the end of one John. And Let me just explain this to you. It's as if having dealt with false teachers and believers who went out from us because they were of us and so on, and false teaching that John calls Antichrist, he closes this letter with one devastating sentence in which he's saying this. Beware not just the false religion that's out there, but false religion that starts in your own heart. Idols that you secretly treasure. Wealth, success, fame. It's easier to hate idols out there than deal with the ones that are in here. So let's do a little health check. Let's do a bit of cardiology for them. Let's check the blood pressure and the blood rhythm. What do we love? Now how do you find that out? What fills your thoughts and imagination? What do you, what, what do you daydream about? Where do your thoughts go in idle moments? What do we love? Second, what do we serve? How do you measure that? Well, where does your time and your money go? Where does your time and your money go? Into an even bigger flat screen? Into the yellow lotus in the garage? No, flat screen. (laughs) What do we serve? What are we working for? Where does our effort go? What does our time go into? Now, of course we have jobs. We have to put in the time. We have to put in the effort. We have to earn our living. But outside of working, you know, the hours that you're supposed to work for the people who employ you, where do you choose to spend your time? What do you do with your time? What do you do with your income? We, we're serving something. You see, some people say, oh, I don't serve anything or anybody. Oh, yes, you do. (laughs) Even if you think you're only serving yourself, you're serving something. Choose you this day whom you will serve. But everybody serves something. What, therefore, add those two together, what, therefore, do we worship? Where do our hearts go, our thoughts go? Where does our time go? Where does our money go? What do I worship? It's an old hymn by William Cowper. It's called, "O oh, for a Closer Walk with God. Uh, 1700s, he wrote it. Verse 5 of that verse has been with me most of my life since I first sang it. It stayed with me, this verse. The dearest idol I have known, whatever that idol be, help me to tear it from thy throne and worship only thee. There's some holy violence in there. The dearest idol I've known, whatever that idol be, help me to tear it from thy throne and worship only thee. I don't know if, how you think about old hymns. Maybe you think, maybe I do sometimes, you think about the choir stools and there's, there they are and the, the basses and the tenors and here's the, here's the, here's the choir boys. Ah, little pre-adolescents, you know, with their little voices and their white surplices and That verse is not to be sung by little boys in white gowns. That verse is to be sung by grown men with muscles and stubble, with clenched fists and gritted teeth. The dearest idol I have known, help me to tear it. See, our problem men is that not that God wants to turn us into women, he wants us to be, make us more like men to quit ourselves like men, to be violent about things that we should be violent about, including this, dealing with our idols. By dealing with them, it means smash, burn, destroy. God is jealous, zealous over us. Can we begin to understand how much God hates false gods that rob our hearts of enjoying him? Choose to hate the very things that would fill your heart instead of the love of God. Make this your prayer. Help me, Lord, to throw down every false idol, every false god, from my heart and treasure only you. James has the temerity to write, Purify your hearts. What? <laughs> you can't tell me to do Yes, he did. Cleanse your hands. Purify your heart. Now, my response to that, and I hope it's an honest one and even a biblical one, is this. Help me, Lord. You command me to purify my heart. Here I am. Just uh, let it. Help me. Help me to tear the idol or idols even from my heart. It only takes a little bit of reflection to understand, to realise, I've got some stuff going on here which is not really treasuring God, it's treasuring something else. There's a that that I'm always adding to Jesus because I think Jesus plus that might make me happy. The hardest issue in terms of dealing with guarding yourself from idols is not the ones that are out there. It's the ones I've made in here. That's where it needs to start. Little children, John's last words, end of his letter. Little children, guard yourselves from idols. Let's pray. We hear your word, Lord, given through your servant John. He's drawing on all of the Old Testament and the the times that he lived in and the situations that people have gone through. We understand from the whole of the Scriptures the idols are the works of our hearts and our hands. They're things we treasure where we should only treasure you. They're things we worship when that worship truly only belongs to you. And so we open our hearts before you now. We pray that by the help of the Spirit we will learn some holy violence in tearing down and destroying those things which take a place that only you should have because we are being robbed by them of your knowledge, your peace, your joy. True happiness in God by these false things that take your place. We open our hands and hearts to you and say, help us, Lord. Help us, Lord. Your command is that we purify our hearts. Our reply is, Let her show me, help me. Where do I start? Help us and hear us, we pray, Lord Jesus. So that you may be more treasured in us and more glorified in us because not so far down the line, we're going to, have to, we're going to be having some Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah, Daniel, Mordecai moments and we need hearts which are strengthened. We need hearts which have already known some purification before we get into those sort of situations. So be honoured in us, we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen.